G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Today's episode, we have Lacan from Feel the Freezer all the way from New Zealand. How are you going, mate? Yeah, it's been bloody good. It's great to be on here. Uh, it's um, great to have you Seeing your stuff around for God knows how long. Been talking to you. Got you right for the site. That was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, no, it's looking forward to do this. First time doing this kind of like podcast stuff. So no, awesome. It's excited good. to get into it. It's good to have you on. I'd, I'd been seeing um, a fair bit of your stuff kicking around through Hainsey. Ah, uh, yeah. No, he's a good guy. Um, I've talked to him a fair bit. I've just, like I've been going back and forth to him about um, some thermal stuff recently. Cause, yeah, um, yeah, he does a lot of that kind of stuff, I think. And um, my dad and I have kind of just started getting into it. Like uh, we went down to Wanganui um, in New Zealand. So that's like a central North Island-ish, but a little bit further south. Um, yeah, and we gave Dad as a pulsar thermal. Um, I've forgotten the model, but he, um, we had a look look around with the thermal on that block and got up close to a few deer, like 20, 30 metres away, and they just weren't bothered. Um, that's sick. It's just crazy how they act so different. Um, but yeah, no, Hainsey's a good guy. I've seen a bunch of his stuff going around for ages. Um, yeah, no, he's a he's a top bloke. Um, next week we got a uh, South Australian hunters and shooters um, catch up. So you're listening to this. It would have been two weeks ago already. Um, but he's uh, making about sixty kilos of venison sausages. He went and shot three on the weekend. Oh yes, but uh, he sent me the photos of that. Um, he shot a bunch of deer just recently. Yeah. It looks pretty awesome. Um, he has a mean setup just for butchering animals and all that. Um, I'd love to do that. Um, at the moment, my setup is just a um, standing up um, filling, filling table that yeah. I just pick up in the garage. Um, and then I've got an old freezer, a fridge that I'm allowed to put meat in while I'm butchering. But um, one day, one day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've got my. I've got a camping table I, I fold out. I've got a mincer and um, a vac sealer. And my camping fridge. So I'll put my camping fridge on. I'll put the venison in there to chill yeah. it down. And then as I'm working, I'll put it back in and then bag it all up, freeze it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's all you need, though, honestly. Like, especially if you're only doing, like, one deer at a time. Like, that's just... Uh, I, I tried doing five fellow does, and that was just way too much by myself. <laughs> um, they were barely fitting in the fridge. It was just getting a little too hectic. Um, you need to get yourself but, a bandsaw. That um, definitely makes quick work of... Oh, yeah, that, that would be so good. Do the um, leg in steaks and Tom Hawk. I've never tried the leg in steaks. Oh, um, That's amazing. It would be... I'd always just wonder, like, the, the thicker silver skin in the inside, does that get, still get a bit chewy? Um, or is it just... I, I don't trim hardly any of my silver skin off venison. I just... I'm the opposite. I'm meticulous. I just like get everything (laughs) off. Um, But it's just like in our house, just um, 
like we didn't grow up on wild game a lot. It's only been the last three, four years that we've kind of got into a lot more. Now we like pretty much don't buy any meat from the supermarket, but um, awesome. it's just got to be very particular with like trimming meat and that kind of stuff. Don't want anything chewy. Um, <laughs> but like I've heard from some people, they just yeah, they can just do it how they want. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it all depends on what your tastes are like. Like I don't mind a chewy bit of meat, but even then I don't find much silver skin chewy either. So yeah, no, yeah, I found that on like some cuts, like it just doesn't matter that much. Um, it's only on the real thick, thick silver skin. Um, but yeah, um, real, real... I tend to be still be pretty pedantic about it. Um, when it gets, especially when it comes <laughs> to like bigger stags and stuff, then yeah. I'll trim ridiculous amounts off. But, um, with these fellow does, like New Zealand fellow does have to be some of like the nicest tasting meat out yeah. there. Like I've even found in the North Island of NZ because they're eating a lot more like grassy pasture. They just end up being so mild and just almost sweet. It's just brilliant. So do you know Cam Kai? I've heard of that. Uh, he was uh, on New Zealand MasterChef. Um, he, he did pretty well with um, like cooking venison on the show. So when oh, I went over okay. to New Zealand a couple of years back, um, I caught up with the guys from Huntec and went out to a private hunting cabin out there, and they invited Cam Kai down, and he cooked a bunch. Oh, of, that's uh, awesome! Yeah, he cooked a bunch of um, fallow on the on the barbecue down there. It was the best. It's I've just had. sublime. Um, it's just so like last night we had like a, I just do like a bone and shoulder roast, so I just saw off just above the shank bone yeah. and they just leave it all as a bone and roast perfect and just slow cook that and it just tastes delicious and you start it with garlic the whole way through yeah you sent, um, sent through the photo as 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 you were putting it on yesterday and yeah it was, it was bloody good um, i was pretty happy with that um, I'm, I'm fasting <laughs> at the moment so you sent that through like an hour or two before my fast was finished and i'm like god damn it that's making me hungry oh sorry (laughs) so we've covered you're in new zealand whereabouts in new zealand are you so right now um so during my summer holidays i'm with my parents because i'm only i'm 21 um but usually i'd say mount monganui um so that's in bay of plenty um it's a pretty awesome area it's one of best place in the world for me to be honest um uh it's just close to the beach it's close to the, like mount wanganui is a great place to go walking there's actually decent fishing nearby as well you have may island yeah. um i've got to get out and do that more i haven't done much fishing to be honest but so um, is that hopefully like, this holidays is that east of auckland yeah yeah it's southeast of auckland yeah okay um, awesome yeah, um, and then during the year when I'm up at university, I'm up in Auckland. Nice. Um, and in Auckland, there just tends to be not very much hunting and fishing around. Um, yeah. So it's, it, when yeah, I went over, yeah. I, I flew into Auckland and then um, went down to Taupo, hunted Seeker down there. Oh, uh, yeah. Then we went cool. over to um, Port Wakado and uh, oh, hung yeah. out over there. And then we went up to um, Whangarei right up the top there, so... Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, Northland's pretty beautiful to be honest. Um, I went up there for the first time in a long time to hunt um, feral goats with a mate, um, and it's just gorgeous. Some of those areas, um, it's way hillier than you'd think. It's just good fun. Um, I got a shot a goat with a crossbow 
That's I was, awesome. I was pretty happy with that. Um, Try I'm not. I had never like shot a bow or anything like that, but um, he had, he's a big bow hunter. This guy. That's um, awesome. But he had a crossbow that he just uses for all the newbies. Um, so that was pretty awesome. Taking a good sized nanny with a bow. Um, it's crossbow. That's yeah. sweet. That's sweet. Yeah. No. Nah. Coming from flat old South Australia to New Zealand, it almost killed me hiking around through oh, through Taupo God. and that. <laughs> oh. Taupo's hilly, don't get me wrong, but um, aren't you doing tar down in New Zealand yep, um, yep. next year? I'm going to die, That's going to be a whole different story. <laughs> <right? laughs> I'd just get good boots that'll have like a good edge to them. Yeah. So you can, when you're just, you're basically cutting your way through the, um, like especially in tar country, it's just like shale and schist. Um, so it's almost just slipping on you. Like with my tar hunt, when I, I did it last November, um, I made the mistake of not getting good boots and I was just slipping and sliding. Basically coming down the hill, I was just coming down on my butt, just sliding <laughs> all the way down. Um, it was a pack full of meat, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's so much fun though, up in those hills. Yeah, man, I can't wait. I can't wait. So um, do you work? I'm a student at the moment, yeah. um, but I, I work during the summer holidays. Um, at the moment, I'm just um, working as kind of a waiter and a bit of a bartender at a local restaurant. Nice. Um, they've actually been pretty good at that place because they have a dry ager. Oh, so I've dropped off a leg of venison. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to split that with all the chefs and stuff. So they're like, oh, yes, this is, venison's pretty awesome. Um, so I'm going to leave it there pretty much up until just before Christmas. That's and awesome. then just use them as Christmas steaks. Um, that's weird. gonna be pretty cool. Have you seen the um, guys that do the butter aged? Oh, nuts? that looks awesome. I want to try that um, on a backstrap. Oh uh, yeah, it's just like it's just also just so much butter. Don't don't you just like throw away the butter after the? No, it's just like you're just cooking. Like you don't need. Oh, you just cook it in the butter, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just it just melts away. Oh, but um, that would be awesome. Yeah, so good. So what are you studying, um, mate? Uh, I'm doing accounting and finance. Nice. Um, yeah, no, it's, I'm enjoying it so far. It's still hard work, um, but it's, that's why, I'd, like, during the semester, I don't get a lot of time to get out and hunt. Um, like, my summer is, like, my unofficial freezer-filling season because um, I, I just have to put as much as I can in there um, and hope it lasts for during the semester. Um <laughs> Especially because all like our whole family eats a lot of venison nowadays. Um, like me, my parents, my grandmother, and my sister and her boyfriend eat a lot of venison. That's great. Um, plus, with like meat costing so much nowadays, um, as a student, it is an incredible asset having um, venison in the freezer. A hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. So, how did you get into hunting? Uh, so when I was young, um, my grandparents owned a kiwi fruit orchard. Um, so there was a lot of rabbits and pukekos running around there. Um, and I was always like interested in animals and nature. Like when I was young, like a lot of kids would be watching like Nickelodeon and stuff. But for some reason I liked watching David Attenborough. Yeah. Um, just, I, I loved the outdoors and that kind of stuff. Um, then when I was about 10 or so, I started like shooting rabbits um, just with like an air rifle or my dad's old 22. But, and then at 16, I went out on my first deer hunt. I w- was lucky enough to go down south with um, 
a guy that I, I still know really well to this day. He's an incredible guy, um, Chris McCarthy from Lake Hawea, Hunting's Forest. Um, okay, just I'm an awesome, he's a wealth of knowledge. Like, I know that name. I reckon crazy. I see, see that on uh, Instagram quite a bit and possibly Facebook. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. So, um, I'll tell you about him later. But um, I went down, shot a fellow and a few goats. But to be honest, like, I didn't really catch the bug um, as per se, especially because it was like, didn't take a huge amount of meat off the animals on those ones. It just didn't really like feel that it didn't really make that much sense. Like, Oh, you're just shooting an animal. Yeah. What's the point? Um, it was still a lot of fun. It was an awesome experience, but I didn't really like get the bug. Um, it wasn't until I was about like 18 and I saw meat eater for, for the first time. Um, I don't know why, but I remember like specifically, I was watching a um, episode on Sitka Blacktail. It was the ones of Prince of Wales Island. Yeah, I just thought that was so cool. Was that um, the one where he's out by himself, or was he with Rogan and Callum? No, it was with, so it was one of like their camera guys that they took out for the first hunt. Um, because at that point Netflix didn't have all like the season one, yeah, two, and three on. That's the. Um, that's but that I, I don't know. Just after that. Um, things started getting um i started really getting into hunting just and i didn't do much hunting like after that till um um probably like the end of 2020 yeah wow. um, and then i got i got my first red um red hind and that and then i went into this particular part of the station again with chris um and it was just one of those beautiful places in new zealand like i still remember that I was like, this is something awesome that I want to be doing for a long time. That's um, awesome. It's, it's an awesome. It was basically just like up this big valley and you had beach forest along parts of the valley and then tussock tops. And it was just the most gorgeous morning. And we basically, it was on a big private station and you just had this little, like you knew that those New Zealand high country huts, they're just like tin on all sides. It's not like fancy, but it's just like, it's just the perfect way to enjoy that kind of landscape. Um, but I, then after that, I just started trying to hunt as much as possible. Um, That's awesome, man. So it was a it was a slow, long burn until until you caught the bug. Yeah, yeah, no. That's the thing. Like a lot of people kind of expect it. Like the first time you go out, that's kind of oh, you catch the bug straight away. Um, but I don't know why. But for some reason, it just didn't come until later probably a little bit of like mental maturity yeah um pretty annoying back then not gonna lie um <laughs> but um yeah no just just maturing a little bit like realizing what it's all about also the food connection things like in our family food has always been a pretty big thing um always try and eat pretty clean and healthy my grandmother always had a garden um so kind of exposed to that side of things so hunting just made sense because it was just another way to source your own food. Yeah, um, man, 100%. That's not to say, like, um, it hasn't taken some convincing on, like, the part, like, uh, me convincing the rest of my family to eat venison and that kind of stuff. Um, I remember the first time we came back from that hunt where I um, I had a red hind and Dad shot a fellow hind, uh, fellow doe, um, and we came back and we just thought whether we'd just butch the animal in the kitchen um because we flew back from queenstown we had basically had these big coolers and you know how when you're flying with venison or you're flying with meat it's just all the water starts to go in the bottom 
um like the water kind of drips out of the meat so we came in and home and mum was just like mortified by us having this venison in there i remember (laughs) that um so since then that's why we've had to have the butchering station down um in the garage and there's been less conflict since then um but yeah no um but overall um my family's been pretty amazing when it comes to this um hunting stuff um yeah i've been pretty lucky yeah, it was a um, slow slow burn for me. I um, couldn't tell you the age I started going out with my um, pop. We used to do a lot of camping, fishing and shooting and hunting. Mm. A lot yeah. of goats and that back then. But then I um, yeah got into deer hunting around 18. And then, yeah, as soon, mm. as, I, as soon as I got my first deer with a bow, it was on like Donkey Kong. I just, that's all I, th- all I thought about. That's all I still think bow about. Bow hunting does seem pretty damn awesome. I'm not going to, like... If I had more time to, like, go out, like, I love um, the thing with rifle hunting, you can just go out and almost it's, like, almost guaranteed you get an animal on the ground, Um, especially if you're going into areas with lots and lots of animals. Um, And when you have limited time to hunt, like, I always choose a rifle, but I'd love, when I have more time to hunt in the future, I'd love to try a bow with a bow. Just yeah. on goats and that kind of stuff would be so cool. Definitely do um, it. Definitely do it. Um, yeah. I don't bow hunt as much as I like these days, but, um, you know, if I yeah. feel like I want to just go out and be successful, I'll take the rifle for a walk. If I just want to go out yeah. for a walk and enjoy enjoy the walk and the nature, I'll uh, either take the compound or the recurve out with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the recurve is just a different level. Um, again, that mate up in Northland that I have um, – he hunts with a compound, but also with a recurve, and he's shot like feral cattle um, with them. It's just, but he shoots a lot of good-sized pigs with them. That's because up north, pretty much north of the Woodhill herd of fallow deer, you don't really have deer in New Zealand up north. It's just goats, yeah. pigs, and the odd escapee feral cattle. They're not really feral cattle. It's like they've just been wild for about eight or nine years um, in some bush blocks. Um, They absolutely rip up the bush um, because New Zealand bush is pretty damn fragile and those cattle are pretty massive. Um, But um, it's just, it's a pretty cool area up north, to be honest. You get a lot of peacocks up there as well. Yeah, that's that's something I was hoping to run into while I was up there. And another strange one. I know it's a bit lower, but another strange one you guys can bow hunt is wallabies. Like over here, we- yeah, we have two species of wallabies. Um, so uh, in Rotorua, around Rotorua Lakes, there's one species of wallabies. Uh, it's like a, oh, it's like a smaller species that you guys have in Western Australia. Yeah. Um, this is really small, but it, um, one of my mates, Philip Lewis Maximilian, um, a wild heart hunter, he does a bit of wallaby hunting. Um, those are the ones he goes after. And then I've done once. So after my tar hunt, we did a night of wallaby shooting um, down south. And those are the Bennett's wallabies, the rednecks. Yeah. Um, and they're just plagues by the freaking thousands down there. Um, I heard stories on big stations of shooting 10,000 wallabies in a year. Um, it's just bonkers. That's insane. Yeah. Um they're, they're cool animals to hunt. They're not very smart, like the ones we were onto, um, yeah. but um, they're just an awesome animal to be around. I bet, I bet. Um, yeah. So what what type of gear are you hunting with? Uh, well, 
of recent, I've started like in, investing in a bit of Kuyu gear. Um, I bought a Kuyu pack, um, one of the big ones that had a full load shelf and everything. Um, it was bought mainly for hunting down south, but uh, I started doing a, messing around with a bit of Kuyu stuff. Um, so I have a one of the big packs with um, as like a back load shelf, so you can stuff a whole bunch of meat in the back of that. Um, and to be honest, like that thing has been really good, even just on my day hunts, because you can just strap it all t- tightly together and you can still put whatever you need really in it. Um, yeah, beautiful. Oh, they're g- great things. And they're just so nice on your back with the steel frame and everything. Um, that was a pretty awesome piece of gear. And then I have a, um, Kuyu Bino harness and I have some, um, as a 21st person, I got these Swarovski um, binos. Very flash. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> That's a pretty sweet <laughs> pretty birthday awesome. gift. It came with a warning. It's like, if you damage these, well, you're in deep crap. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, and fair enough, because they're just super clear. Because okay. um, it was always between my dad and I, he would have a pair of binos and it would always be tied to his harness. <laughs> Um, so I'd be like asking him, oh, I was like, where's the animal? I can't even see it. Um, can I use your binos? And I have to lean over close to his chest to pull the things up. Um, <laughs> so that kind of resolved that. Um, but that, that was, you know, pretty awesome. But to be honest, otherwise in terms of gear, I keep it pretty basic. I think a lot of hunters go over the board sometimes. Yep. Um, like having to buy like specific hunting gear, not everything has to be camo. Um, you can just, a lot of the time, if you have like a good good pair of pants, a good jacket, um, a cap or something, um, or beanies and gloves, then you, everything else just kind of doesn't matter. And, and boots, of course. Like yeah, good, 100%. Um, yeah. Like what? I think a lot of people go, um, go overboard and buy lots of fancy gear. Um, to be honest, a lot of cool you guys do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm tempted to go that way because it does look pretty awesome. But um, what, what camo are you running over there? Are you running one of those trusty New Zealand brands, or? Uh, yeah. So, oh god, I always. It's not Bushbuck. It's the. Uh, it's another one. But I bought them on like a clearance sale. Um, so both Dad and I have the same ones, but just different camo patterns. Yeah, perfect. Um, and my my pack. It, um. Dad got the camo version of that, which is just good for like forests. And then I got the one that's just a plain slate gray. Yeah. Um, just good, better for alpine stuff. Because to be honest, like we haven't done a lot of um, bush hunting in New Zealand. Like in New Zealand, hunting can kind of just really be broken down into three types. You have farm hunting. So you're just a lot of the time you're on like a quad bike or something and you're just shooting deer along bush edges. Yeah. And you don't really need camo for that, to be honest. Um, then you have um, bush hunting, which is a lot harder, and it's not something I haven't had a lot of success with yet. Um, but then you, that's it's, New Zealand bush can be incredibly dense, um, depending on the where you are. Like where you, you went after seeker, it's more like beach forest, yeah. um, which is just gorgeous. Um, but everything's um, that's mossy. usually a little bit more open. <laughs> Everything's um, mossy. All the trees um, under that moss is dead. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. That yeah, that's the hard part. Um, it does make it hard to walk anywhere. But then, and then down south, you have the, all the alpine stuff. 
Um, and to be honest, I like the big open range spot and stalk hunting more than anything. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. That's what I do. What um, rifle are you running? Oh, we have a few going at the moment. So it's, this is the thing. I don't have my gun license. Okay. So technically I have no guns. Um, <laughs> so they're all my dad's. Yep. And I have to ask permission to take them out and use them. Um, but um, we have um, we have um, a Howard 243. We have a 7 8 which is what we use for reds and tar. I shot my tar with a 7 8 We also have a 7 mil mag. Yep. But we haven't really gotten that out yet. Um when my dad did a stag hunt a couple of years ago, he was going to use that, but then it just wasn't shooting right. Um, we had a bit of a problem with the scope on it, um, just because it's such a long barrel, as long action gun. Um, we needed just a massive scope on it. It's an absolute behemoth of a gun. Um, yeah, the 7 mil eights. Uh, sorry, 7 mil rem mags are nice. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to, like, if I ever um, do proper red stag shooting, I'd probably use that, just, but I, the 7 mil we use on reds and tar, and we use it on fallow every now and again, but um, we have 243, 223, and 22250. Very nice. And then a bunch of just rimfire rifles. Um, so what's your... We do a lot with 17s, yep. um, 17 HMRs. Um, turkeys. I'm yet to get a peacock with it. Um, peacocks have been my one massive elusive species. Um, last February, we were on a place that had a lot of them, but for some reason, I just could not shoot one. <laughs> it was like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner. That's great. Um, and because peacocks, they're a strange bird in that they both they can when they're on like on top of the hill, they'll fly off it like a pheasant. But then they'll, when they're at the bottom of a the hill, they'll just run like a like road a runner. emu or something. Weird. <laughs> road um, runner, <laughs> like a road runner. Um, but they're they're a cool little bird. Um, one that I want to get get. Um, it's supposed to taste amazing as well. Um, yeah, I was, that was my next question. Have you eaten one? <laughs> no, no. So I have. I, I Philip, my mate, he shoots a few every now and again, and he's made some pretty awesome. He's made like a cockovan. Um, with it, um, that's they have like a yellowish fat to them, yeah. Which um, so apparently they're like a pretty amazing yeah. eating bird. Um, yeah, shot a fair few turkeys. We have feral turkeys here. Yeah, I know. Um, they're so good. They're, they're one of my favorite. They're good things. fun shooting. They're <laughs> very very dumb. Um, so for one seven, you can kind of just sit back on a hill and ditch the one know, seven. Start. Go get that bow. Go shoot them with a bow. Oh, that, yeah, that would actually be a very good way to practice your bow shooting. Um, do you guys have much of them over in South no, Australia? No, we've got a very, very small population here, um, and it's very well kept. <laughs> oh, okay. And then there's a couple of small... They get hammered by, like, cats and foxes, wouldn't they? Cats, where they are, there's no foxes, so just cats. Oh, okay. Um, and then I guess you have all your snakes and eagles and all that kind of yes, stuff. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah In New Zealand, it's just different. Like, there's nothing that can kill it. There's <laughs> the odd cat, um, and you'll get the odd farm dog that'll go after them. Um, like, when we were young, we had a Labrador that was very, very good at catching turkeys and um, neighbors' chickens and stuff. But apart from that, like, not much is hurting these turkeys. So they can just explode in numbers so quick. 
do the uh, like stoats and the ferrets and the weasels get get into the poults? <laughs> not or? that I really know of. Like they probably eat chicks. Um, like I know, yeah, the chicks have a pretty damn high survival rate. Like from what I know, back in the states, they their survival rate is like ten or twenty percent of the chicks get past the first few months. Um, in New Zealand, it'll probably be like eighty or ninety percent get past the first few months. Yeah, that's that's insane. Yeah, I, yeah. I, the mate I'm going down with in uh, the South Island hunting with, he was saying, telling a story how he did a population control cull and they got something like four hundred turkeys in a day. Oh, I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, they're good eating. Like a lot of people turn their nose up at them. Um, oh, I love them, man. Which is crazy because in um, in the states they're like revered as a game animal, um, but here there's like a there's a saying like you don't eat a turkey with a in a month with uh, with an R in it. Um, so it's only during the winter that you're supposed to eat them. Okay. But I've eaten some of them in like February, and they've been pretty damn good. So yeah, no, um, turkeys turkeys are pretty amazing. Um, you know, you got schnitzels out of the breast. Um, you got thighs and drumsticks chucking the slow cooker, make amazing curries, yeah, yeah. and then the rest of it just chuck in a pot and make make stock. Yeah, no, that is a great it's a great little animal, especially if you get a young one. Um, when I'm shooting with the one seven, you basically aim for the V in their neck, so it's enough to it, it's a big enough spot that you can just kill them, but you're not damaging any of your breast meat. Very nice. And the crop, so that can be a bit annoying. But, um, but yeah, that's like I find that's just the perfect place to be hitting them. Very nice. So what's your main go-to deer rifle when you're going out? Is that the 243 or? Uh, it really, fellow, I like the 243 that we have is just a great gun. Yep. Um, it's just deadly accurate. It's something that we can just rely on. Um, it's got a CDS system on it, so we can just dial down the range um, to whatever. Yep. And that is an awesome gun. Um, my dad shot a smaller bull tar with it, even. Um, so when I was shooting my tar, he had this kind of cripple bull. Um, so he had just a bung legs from a bad fall. But it was like from ages ago. He's the same age as my bull, but he was so stunted in his growth, he looked like a yearling. Yeah, wow. Um, but he shot that one straight after he shot mine with the two four three. So it's and that was at like two hundred and eighty meters or something. It was very nice. Long distance. Um he's a good shot though, my dad. So That's um, good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So what's your top beginner tip getting into hunting? So you started fairly late. So what was what do you reckon is a good tip for someone trying to get into it? Use the internet. Um we have a we're we're blessed with a huge resource of hunting tips, um, you know, just watching shows, all of that kind of stuff on the internet. YouTube is an incredible resource. Um, like I encourage, like I'm trying to get, I have three of my close mates, I'm trying to get out for their first hunt. Um, and I'm just encouraging them to like, just watch like media episodes and watch um, like how to butcher an animal from nose to tail, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can learn so much nowadays just without even going out in the field. There's nothing um, – you can't beat going out in the field, of course, but um, the next best thing is using the internet. Um, so I, what I'd say is even before you go and, like, ask 
another hunter like take you out and that kind of stuff and just do your research on like oh this is these are the animals in my area um these are the ones that i really want to hunt these this is yeah. how you use that meat um this is how you hunt that animal um just learning all of that first and then going to to like a hunter that you may um ask to take you out yeah 100 percent. that's uh that's great advice definitely learn everything you can before you ask and you you'll impress the person you're asking and they're probably more inclined to take you out oh god yeah no if like to if someone asked me you just like never gone and never thought even thought about hunting before like two days ago um i was oh can you take me out deer shooting i'd probably say no because one this that interest probably isn't going to be sustained um so part of it is also like especially with how long it takes to get your licenses in New Zealand. Like I've had to wait since July of last year to get mine. And I only recently had my interview. So I still have to wait another seven to eight weeks to get my actual license. What's the Um, process of getting your license there? It sounds like it's, I know you guys have more access to firearms than we do, but the license sounds like it's a pain in the ass. It almost sounds worse uh, yeah, than yeah. Australia. Yeah, no, that, that's probably a good way of saying it, to be honest. Because um, So basically you have to fill out this big application form. It's like 40 pages and something. And you have to um, do all of your residents, who's living with you, all their details. Wow. Um, you have to provide a doctor's reference um, so that they can like check with them that you're mentally sane. Um and then you have to provide two references, one that can be within your family, and then one that's just a person you know. Yeah, well. Um, and they recommend, like, you must have known those person people for, like, a year or so, at least. So um, after all of that process, do you have to go do a, um, like, a theory test? Yeah, and yeah. Um, so you have to go do a practical for a day. Um, so you actually first set the arms code test, Um so I did that, and you have to get, like, 28 out of 30 to pass. Uh, I think it's 28 or 27, I can't remember, but 20, you have to do well to pass. Um, and then they take you through a practical, through just some guns and whatnot. And then let's say if you didn't pass it the first time, they let you do uh, set it again, a second version of the test after that practical. Um, and then if you fail that, that's, like, a serious problem. Um, yeah, wow. But that's... I, I don't know what happens to those people, but um, <laughs> they just get rid of. I them. think you just have to do the whole thing again. <laughs> but then, anyway, then you go through the vetting process. So it goes off to a different office, and they check, do all your background checks. Um, then they have to interview you and your references in person, um, which is what I've had to do recently. And then they have to come and check your gun safe, that it's bolted into the like it has to be bolted into three surfaces. Um, so it's not going anywhere and then they'll check that to the safe place and then they'll ask you a bunch of questions like about your like how do you deal with I had ones ask me like how do you deal with stress um, and just questions like that big open ended questions that you know to be honest do seem like a bit of a waste of time um, especially because they're on the application form um, but yeah that's that's insane. So here- and then that goes to the capital, so it goes to Wellington after that, and then I have to wait for my license to come. Jesus. Yeah, now that's 
that's insane. That um, because everyone looks like look at looks at New Zealand as a better place to be a firearms owner. Once you get your license, it seems that way. Um, yeah, it's even, getting it's kind of getting worse and worse. Um, so, is all of that licensing way of doing things has that come after Christchurch, or was that all in place? A lot of Christ? it is, and a lot of the reason. So, like, even though that sounds like a lot, it shouldn't really be taking that long. Like, it shouldn't be taking two years. Yeah, um, it's just because we've had um, a combination of COVID. So a lot of workers just weren't be able to process licenses. And then you had um, the legislation behind the rifle, um, the licensing process became so much more complicated, but you didn't have, like the government didn't invest more money into the process. Yeah. So you basically have the same amount of people doing way more work. Yeah. So it's very hard to feel like you, you're on, like I'd always call up to ask like, Oh, is there anything I can do to like, pro- you know, speed up the process? Blah blah blah, and like you, you'd hear them, and they'd be pretty damn stressed, to be honest, because they're trying to process thousands of applications. That's insane. Um, it, it's a bit of a mess the system at the moment, but I hopefully it gets better. Um, the Divestalkers Stalkers um, and NZ is doing a little bit of work behind that, um, and hopefully it will start to come to fruition soon. Yeah, that's that's insane. So here in South Australia, you put in your um, application, your police clearance type thing. Um, yeah, it's probably it, when I did it, it was maybe two months. You got your stuff back, then you go do a day course. That's a theory and a practical, yeah, yeah. and then you get your license a couple months after that. That that sounds like heaven. Um, <laughs> I was talking to my dad about that today. Like. Um, Obviously, so nice. I want to go out on my first solo hunt. Um, I really just want to peel off. Like, um, we did a trip with me, my dad, and a few of his workmates. Um, it's like a work hunting trip. Um, but during that time, I wanted to peel off on my own a lot. Um, and it's been like through these last two years, I feel I've gotten a lot of hunting experience. I've been blessed to have that. But I haven't been blessed to be able to go and like just do it by myself because of that licensing thing. Um, that's insane. So as soon as it comes, I'm going off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. So what, what would be the top five items for a beginner you would recommend? Invest in good boots. That's one of one. Um, a good pair, a good glass is another one. That's really good. Um, a decent pack, like, especially if you're doing backcountry stuff, um, Invest in a good pack because that's investing in your back yep. as well. Um, investing in, in your legs and knees. And actually, when you get an animal, you'll be able to carry it out. Um, like in New Zealand, a lot of hunters do the old deer backpack trip. <laughs> um, but it, doing that so often, especially with big red hinds and stuff, it can screw your back oh, I up. Bet. I, um, I can only imagine. Like you see a lot of the pig hunters in New Zealand do it. Um, it looks awesome, don't get me wrong. Like the photo is amazing. But um that thing has got to screw your back up. Like that's 100%. I try to as much as I can break the animal down on the spot. Yeah. Um but anyway, um next one would be a good knife. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just a good knife that is um like sturdy enough so you can do skinning in the field, but also has like a fine enough tip on it that um you can do like boning and stuff really well. Yeah. 
Like I find um, that's a, I was kind of lucky. So I put I put one of my tar photos into a mag- hunting magazine, and I won something, and I won a one of these knives that I still use. That's awesome. Um, at the moment, um, it's a bloody good knife, especially because I got it for free. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I did like red stags, did fallow. I've done um, so many animals on that knife now. Um, on this this trip, so we got twelve deer between seven people. Um, so me and my dad kind of know the, more of the butchery side than everything. Um, so we between my dad and I, we did about eight deer with that knife. Um, That's right. So yeah, ended up being pretty. That's like investing a good knife is really important. And then I say, and just investing in like putting time into like doing your research. Um, like so many hunters, they'll go out into the field and they'll learn about like how to shoot a deer. But when it comes to the animal on the ground, um, they don't know what to do. Um, like in New Zealand, I think that's one thing that we could really do a lot better is using the animal. Yeah. Better, especially for stuff outside of deer. Um, <laughs> like I know so many hunters that will shoot a goat and say, well, why the hell would I want to eat that? Um, but I, I personally love young, uh, like nanny goats, just so bloody good. Oh, um, goat, goat's amazing. So good. There's Even like I, I shot this one billy, um, and it was, it was definitely stinky, don't get me wrong. But in a good curry and put into sausages, he actually ended up being pretty damn good. Um, yeah, you put enough spice in it, I think, and it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so that goes on to the one of the dot points you wanted to touch on, assigning a value to game animals. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, so that's this is one of the things I've kind of been working on over the last little while. Um, it's kind of been a little project of mine because... I've been lucky enough to go into a lot of big stations down south where I've um, done a bit of work just like helping out in camp. But just with you have huge numbers of animals um, across just a huge area. But um, aside from the trophy value of an animal, which can be like exponentially large, um, it's really hard in New Zealand to actually put like a value on an animal. Like this is how much we value this animal. So what I was trying to do is just like assign – uh, like I called it food value, FV. So it's basically the amount of money that you would have to spend to buy the equivalent amount of meat at the supermarket, just at the bare minimum price, like the cheapest beef or the cheapest chicken. And like we started looking at it like like how much of that food value gets realized when it's a hunter going out and harvesting it. Um, let's say they butcher up that animal um, and they get everything off it and they take that home. For a red hind, it's something like 800 bucks worth of meat. Yeah, wow. Um, it could, like, it can be incredibly large. But then I, I was very interested in it, like, how much value are we losing if we're culling that animal? Like, you're not getting any of that meat, so all of that meat, that drops off. But then you're also spending money, like a considerable amount of money a lot of the time, getting up in the helicopter and for fuel and labor and everything. So that's like a negative economic cost. And then what about and if we commercially harvested it? So for venison recovery, it's a big thing in New Zealand. Um, has been for the last 50, 60 years. Um, a lot of our wild venison ends up going to Europe. So a lot of it, a lot of the time, farmers and whatnot, let's say you have a herd of 
you know, a thousand deer on your property and you'll cull off 200 hinds a year. Um, so they'll sell those hinds only for three, 400 bucks a pop. Um, so you're only going to see half of that food, that economic value within that country. Um, so it's just one thing that I just found quite interesting, like how we measure the value of our game animals. And like, if you imagine if you added up like all the animals in New Zealand that just get culled and aerial from choppers, yeah. like that's the potential economic loss that that is creating. And we have um, the same issue down here. Um, in a, oh, yeah, up here compared to you guys, but um, yeah. So we have a bunch of aerial culling in South Australia. South Australia, we have no public land to hunt. It's all private property. That's tough. That's tough, man. Oh, it's it's horrible. Um, and then we pay for choppers to go shoot all of the them, deer that you would them. like to shoot. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's all of that. Then Victoria, there's lots of public land. You pay. A, about an eighty dollar fee a year to hunt the the public land yeah. over there. That's good. There's but, at least someone's like paying. You're paying a little bit, putting it forward towards conservation. It is. I wish we had that in New Zealand, to be honest. Um, but then they but, go cull all the deer in those yeah, in those areas, and um, the national parks still via chopper. Mm-hmm. Um, in those areas, there's a lot of wild dogs, so that raises wild dog uh, numbers uh, yeah. by all the. All the We're lucky we don't have wild dogs. Oh. <laughs> and then, yeah, New South Wales, they do a fair bit of aerial culling as well, which is, yeah, like you've said, it's a waste of a resource. It's oh, the money it could make. It so boils my blood, mate. Um, like, I've, I've heard figures know. of $100,000, $200,000 every time a helicopter goes up down here in South Australia. Oh, God, yeah. That's, that's, God, yeah. That's like, even on, so on this particular station where I've done a bit of work, they don't have to hire a chopper because they use a chopper for mustering sheep and stuff off the hills. Um, but they, even then, they're still getting, still paying for petrol and paying for time yeah. and labour. It takes a lot of economic resources to do it's not like you just snap your fingers and there's a helicopter in the air exactly Um, yeah it's it's a massive issue and then like also with the food value side of things that's just one way of valuing an animal if you put like the the value of the experience and all of those intangibles um the reason why i chose food values because it's the one tangible value that you can really assign to an animal yeah um everything else like to to put a value on like just seeing the animal that's priceless if anything but um what i really wanted to do hopefully is develop it into a system where um as a landowner you'd be able to say oh this many deer on my property has this value that's awesome Um, that's that's some something i'd like to develop more into the future um so yeah going from that what about breaking the cycle of culling the game animals? Yeah, so that's uh, kind of carrying on from there. I think we've talked about it a little bit already, but um, it's just like in New Zealand, um, it's a just it's kind of hindered a lot of our conservation efforts for just like literally hundreds of years. Um, ever since, like red deer, for instance, have been in New Zealand for ever pretty much since we came here yeah like i did an article of um one of the first liberations of red deer and it was in like 18 8, something um which is crazy to think that these deer have been around for that long um 
but ever since then like within a few like 20 years they were getting overpopulated yeah. already um and what we've been in the constant cycle of is just numbers going up way too high hunters not being able to get like good quality trophy animals because there's no good feed around um and then government coming in or private landowners coming in and just culling the population dropping it all the way down and just not having an opportunity opportunity then to shoot animals and then just having like a little sweet spot period kind of in between those big waves of um big fluctuations of populations so if I, when i i say breaking the cycle of culling is actually learning from our mistakes over the past 100 years and saying okay just culling the population isn't going to work we're never really going to eradicate deer um it would we'd have to put a lot of economic resources to completely get rid of deer because even if you leave you know, one or two in a valley they can just proliferate from there on out if you don't keep that consistent management um so when i mean breaking the cycle of culling is actually creating systems within um, on private and public land where we promote a consistent and constant science-based harvest. Yep. So we're like what, what we, I, I, I discussed this with a mate of mine, but it was um, using game management units. You break basically, the you break all of Australia and New, New Zealand into big like 10,000 acre blocks. And in each block, you'd say, this is the number of deer. This is how many need to be harvested. Um, this is the ideal amount of deer. So we're not impacting the environment, but hunters can still shoot animals. Um, and then go from there. Um, it's great in theory, of course. It takes funding and it takes money. 100%. Just but um, I think if as, a hun as hunters, if we want to get out of this constant cycle of having our animals culled every 10, 20 years yeah. um, on the pieces of private land that we do have control over, creating those kind of systems where we like use proper science-based management to control our numbers over the long term. I think that will be the future. Um, those are the places where deer will be thriving for the longest time. That's the places where hunters will have the best opportunities. So on that, touching back onto you saying New Zealand and Australia as well has a delicate ecosystem. So how, oh, how yeah. do you find that the, cause look, I, as a hunter, I'm torn between a red, like I know they're mainly a game animal in New Zealand over here. They're mainly classed as a feral, feral species. Uh, but to be honest, they're classed as a feral pest yeah. here. So um, we have like, but technically they're game animals, but everyone that's not a hunter yeah. calls them a pest. Yeah. So um, as a hunter, I'm torn between, and like I'm an animal lover. I love conservation. Yeah. I, I grew up watch, like just binge watching Steve Irwin. So, oh, God. He's my <laughs> hero. Um, that, that little follow-up. I like, up, cried when I found out he died um, when I was like three years old. Um, <laughs> so, so did I, man. I got a little, little photo of him up there and up behind oh, me. Oh, that's so good, man. Um, but... I'm torn between keeping deer on the ecosystem and then getting rid of rid of them on the ecosystem, because any introduced species wreaks havoc on the ecosystem, no matter how many we have. And then I want yeah. them there for selfish reasons because I love hunting deer, I love eating deer, 
and I just love the animals on the landscape. Mm. Like it's 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 a very hard hard subject. I, I do I definitely get what you mean. Like I've thought about that a lot. Um, but like at the same time, what you have to you kind of have to step back and look at it as a long term long term thing that. One, ecosystems change. Humans have introduced a massive sweeping um, amount of change that basically ecosystems have never seen before. Um, but that doesn't mean that every change that humans make to an ecosystem is like wrong or immoral and something that we need to reverse. Um, like with deer in New Zealand and Australia or any other game animals, um, I think the best thing that we can do is um try and assimilate them into our modern ecosystems like the big thing like i hear from everyone who calls deer a pest is that they have no natural predators um well there's millions of their natural predators they're called humans um <laughs> it's just that we need to stop kind of um just enable as much as our population as possible to harvest these animals to interact with them and to actually act as functioning predators of them um so and I think when, if we did that, we'd look at deer a lot differently. Um, so do you think as hunters we pick and choose too much and focus more on the antler side of stuff than taking hinds and does and yearlings? I think somewhat. Like, don't get me wrong, like hunting stags and bucks is so much fun. Um, like it's just an incredible experience. But then we, you've got to – like the realities of conservation in New Zealand is that we have to step up as hunters and shoot a lot of does and hinds. Um, like I, I try for most of my freezer to be full of does and hinds and like reduce the number of spikers that I yeah. shoot. Or, um, and that's just kind of the, the – the trophy influence kind of comes from the northern hemisphere. So a lot of like the hunting media, like the first hunting media that came into Australia and New Zealand came from Europe and North America. And their ideals of conservation are completely different from ours. Um, like as we, what, we're in an incredible situation. Like if, when you think about it, um, we have a huge diversity of game animals, huge numbers of game animals over a huge area of land with very little people. That's pretty much the opposite of Europe and North, North America. Um, like they still have a, a huge abundance of animals, but they're dealing with huge populations. They're dealing with animals with natural predators and they're dealing with animals that are often facing like threats to um, their existence. And New Zealand is the complete opposite and the same in Australia um, in most cases, to be honest. Um, and if we want like a good functioning conservation system, we have to, make it adapted to those factors um which is difficult because most other countries can just look to other their neighbors and they have like a similar format um but in new zealand and australia we kind of haven't done that for so long because there hasn't been anyone to look to yeah um but yeah it's it's a complicated topic i oh, could talk a lot it, um, it is it, it is <laughs> it hurts very, the brain it's um. a very complicated <laughs> topic um one of my good mates and former guests and um part owner of eureka tactical dan oh, um, yeah. he just finished his degree in biology ah, yes, so yeah. he's very much you know 
we need to get rid of all feral introduced oh, yeah. species. No, I, I get that. <laughs> because um, but they... it's like a, it's different like studying he's like he's probably also seen these animals in real life but a lot of the people who write those textbooks haven't yeah and it's hard to explain to those people the intangibles of like oh if humans manage help manage them um their impact can be much less um and like less so in, in new zealand because we never really had megafauna but in australia you guys had like Previously, you had like giant kangaroos and shit yeah. like that, um, and in part, not fully, of course, because they're not the exact same. But in part, some of your introduced species do fill those vacant niches. Um, kind of, but kind all, of. all of our native animals and the megafauna, they all had soft pads for feet. Yeah, like, yeah, that is true. All the that's why, stuff. like everyone talks about camels, Partos. like they're the one with like soft they are. pads. They are. Um, but uh, yeah, there's of course there's of course differences. Um, I'm not saying that a you know, giant wombat is the same as a deer. Um, but th- like the again, like ecosystems changed. It's not a stagnant thing. Oh, and we, we have of course, it's unusual looking at the fossil record and saying, oh, like the our period of time that we live in is the one of greatest change, of course. Um, and introduced species, I think, is part of that. Um, but if you look at it over the long term, if we can help like slowly get our ecosystems used to these introduced species, it could actually be great because it's like a additional influx of biodiversity um, from all around the world. So, and especially in Australia and New Zealand, if you look at the rest of the globe, they've had all, a lot of their like large megafauna animals in the past 50 to 100 years have just been crashing. New Zealand and Australia has been the opposite. Yeah, of course, exactly. it's not all shiny and rose, roses and everything, <laughs> but um, like, yeah, it's something also kind of to be proud of and like, like amazed by. Um, I, I, and it's I, hard I def- to explain to that. People. I definitely um, agree. Agree with you on most of it. Um, I just know that Dan's listening to this when he's listening yeah, to he's it, and he's, he's cringing. <laughs> he's, he's screaming at us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Creating a new model of conservation for Oz and New Zealand. What, apart from what you've covered, what else do you have in in mind? How could we go about we just a funding model? Um, it's something that a lot of people might not like in Australia and New Zealand, but like having to pay for a deer license or something like that, or having to pay like a 10, 20 bucks for a, a tag or something, especially in our like remote public land blocks um, in New Zealand. I think that could be something great, um, like having a system where you pay for the deer that you shoot, and then that money goes back towards conservation. So, like monitoring those populations, make sure they're not getting too high, and then actually alerting the public if they are getting too high, and say, in this specific area, we want you to be shooting more hinds. Okay. Um, like using a model of conservation that uses. Um, you're just a bit of funding. And also, if, if in an ideal world, what I'd like to see, I, I think like a, a few people in Australia and New Zealand have already touched on this, but um, similar tax to the Pittman-Robertson Act, um, like we're an excise tax on hunting gear and rifles and that kind of stuff, and it went towards conservation. And in New Zealand, it would do really well to go towards the licensing process. 
um, to make it swifter and actually give them enough staff. Um, I think that's something that would be really worthwhile. Um, it would just be investing in your hunters for the future. Yeah, it's it's definitely something that's crossed my mind. The whole Pittman, Pittman Robinson and um, Dingle Johnson, Dingle Johnson for the yeah. fishing side of stuff. Um, the thing is, where <coughs> we're taxed so much on everything as it is. Oh yeah, over that, here. That is, so again, easier said than done. You'd um, have to take this kind of stuff. You'd have to like take the GST off of everything and whatever that GST yeah. is on stuff, and then put it into the Pittman yeah. and Dingle Johnson type thing over here. And I, I would fully support that if it was done like that and the money went back into conservation. Yeah. And if you actually knew the money was going into conservation, not just culling more deer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 100%. That's that, that is the real danger because if you have a government body that's not invested in protecting your game animals, um, then the very act that could do, lots of good could completely destroy things. Exactly. Um, so that is the catch to that. Um, but I, it's just a, it's a very hard topic to address really. Um, there's so much you could go into. Um, we almost yeah. need like a Australian, New Zealand game council. <laughs> oh, like we have New Zealand game council. Yeah. But like, 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 um, a- yeah, I know it's a collective one. I know, <laughs> like one that can take. What on. I really want to get as a book is the North American Model of Wildlife Conservation, yep. the full Dr. Valerius guy's yep. textbook. Um, sounds a bit nerdy wanting a textbook, but no, no, um, no. just listen. That's one thing I'd love to get and to read that. You and need then, it. You need it on audiobook because Valerius guys just. The way he speaks is amazing. Oh, his voice is just—it's just—it's <laughs> memorizing. He's—he's uh, he's passed away now, mm-hmm. but um, I remember what I remember listening to a episode with him on the Ben O'Brien hunting Hunting podcast it was back when it was hunting collective um man that was cool that was one of my favorite episodes of that um he's just such a cool guy him and shane mahoney they have the two of the best voices on planet earth (laughs) (laughs) i definitely agree with that man those guys together especially with ben's personality it just works so well Oh yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. That's a, that's a, those were one of my like t- um, top two or three like favorite podcasts. Um, I still I listen to Woodside, the new one that he does yeah, now. Yeah. Um, I listen, I listen to, to that every now and again. It's not as good as Hunting Collective. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know I miss, why. I just I like miss the Phil. nostalgia of it. I but, miss um, Phil. <laughs> yeah. So the episode that he had recently on with Phil that was that was good. Just a trip down oh, Phil, lane. the engineer. Yeah, yeah, um, Phil Taylor. <laughs> I remember those episodes where they do like the turkey hand drawings, yeah. and uh, it was just it was quite funny. Um, yeah, yeah, the hunting collective definitely inspired this podcast, and the name actually came. So the hunting connection actually came through. Um, I thought so. I thought it had a little bit of a connection there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it did. It actually came in one of the group chats with Ben and a bunch of the other guys in it from oh, the Hunting okay. Common. Um, we're all coming up with names for the Hunting Common and they're spitballing all these different names. And I just seen the Hunting Connection. And when they chose the Hunting Common, I'm just like, hey, can I steal that name? <laughs> <laughs> Fair they're, enough. They're like, it's a, it's like, a, it's go a good for one. It. Um, <laughs> 
You gotta take those. Uh, we need like a good name for something. Um, I can't remember when I I was deciding on fill the freezer. I didn't know what the hell to call that account. Um, I had it like blank for so long. I just had like a bunch of dashes and commas is my thing um, for ages because I didn't know what I was gonna call it. Um, but once once you get that like it just clicks. It does. And you can't change it from there. Um, but yeah, no. That's awesome. Um, zombie apocalypse weapon something a little less serious ah yes okay so this is inspired by a movie i remember watching so it's one of the more recent john wicks um but it's a benelli m4 with buckshot on it very nice um i just remember i could just imagine with zombies that would just be so good (laughs) just point blank through two or three heads at once um (laughs) just absolutely shatter them um just mess it. Like, I don't think like an AR would really work that well. Um, I want to stay alive, like <laughs> you know, <laughs> apocalypse. Um, but I just need a lot of ammo. Um, yes, and that's, that's the, the thing with these shotguns. <laughs> heavy, heavy. <laughs> oh, okay. oh yeah, they'd be bloody he- heavy as well. Like anyway, yeah. No, that's definitely what I do as my um, finale in for. Maybe put like a bayonet on the front of it, um, so I can stab a little bit. Um, but yeah, just anything to stay alive, really. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. What have you forgotten on a hunting trip? Oh, God. Um, I've nearly forgotten a lot of stuff. Um, like, I'm, I'm pretty a pretty forgetful person, I'm, to be honest. So I'll always, I think once or twice I've gotten the wrong bolt oh, no. um, for a rifle. Um, like, the, we have like a gun safe at our place and it's got all the bolts in a little box up the top and so many of the bolts just look similar to each other uh, and it, like especially like my dad has a lot of rim fires um so like a lot of his older 22s from his childhood um and then we have our new 22s and one seven but a lot of the bolts just look virtually identical so we always just get i get those mixed up um i think once i forgot like proper socks um, <laughs> on a hunt. Um, so I was in boots, but I had like low top socks. Um, <laughs> Ankle socks. <laughs> yeah, and that was not... You know, I'm trying to make a fashion statement, but it didn't work. Um, <laughs> Just ended up with blisters on your ankles instead. But to be honest, like I've, aver- I've um, been averted from a lot of like leaving hunting gear behind That's by cool. my dad or by like people I've been hunting with. <laughs> so I've gotten lucky. Um but to be honest, I haven't been hunting that long, so um, it's bound to happen. Oh, 100%. Bound to get the rifle or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> just, just touching um, on the bolts there, is that a uh, storage requirement to keep the bolts? Yeah, so yeah. So in New Zealand now, you have to so you have to store your firearms in one box and then your bolts and your ammo in another. And it has to be separate from each other so they can't be attached and they have to have two different sets of keys. So when I I get in my process of getting my license, I had to buy a gun safe and then a separate safe on top, like a jewelry box safe. That's ridiculous. Oh, don't get me started. (laughs) I'm gonna do anything to get my license at this point. Yeah, um, no, I don't. I do not blame you. What about the most (laughs) sketchy slash dangerous thing that's happened while you've been out? I'd probably be on my tar hunt. Like uh, to be honest, like looking at the experiences of a lot of other people. Um, I'll probably tell the story of um, this guide, actually. 
a little bit later on but anyway i was on this tar hunt and i i'd never really been up in like the true mountains of new zealand like alps so basically you're going up from the river bottoms which is these big like um probably like three four hundred meter wide river bottoms there's just boulders and rocks and then you're just going straight up pretty much um to where the tar are that so in spring you're trying to like meet the tar halfway up the mountain so because in the evenings they drop down the mountain so your best chance of getting them is at like basically past five o'clock so at two o'clock in the afternoon you start climbing um so it was just like super super steep and like i said i didn't have really good boots um so it was i was always just slipping and sliding and in new zealand we have this bush called matagari and it's just like a super thorny bush and you just it'll just get stuck in your hands get stuck everywhere um and i remember like i'm not amazing for around heights um which probably isn't the best thing to have is like (laughs) someone going mountain hunting um but i remember like that i thought that was pretty damn sketchy and then doing some of the big river crossings that they have um like those high alpine streams that are just so cold i bet but they just you can just basically put your head into it and drink it's just so clean um it's just melt water like you when you go in your time you'll hopefully see that kind of stuff um anyway up through there and i remember coming we shot my bull and i had the front quarters on and the front quarters of the tar quite heavy um because like deer are mostly like back end heavy like their hind quarters will be heavier than their front quarters but tar is a mountain animal just their front end is just built like a grizzly bear um so their front shoulders almost weigh more than their back end yeah well uh, i didn't know that that when you look at a, a tar like you'll see like their front end is like a super broad and deep chest and they've got that kind of slanting back yeah down um, and it's because they're just pushing from their front legs up a mountain and they need to have that just raw strength. So anyway, I had the front quarters and my, both the front quarters. And I think I had a back strap in my pack, but I was coming down the mountain in the dark cause we had shot mine at about nine o'clock at night. Um, in New Zealand in the spring, it's usually light around nine o'clock still. Um, and I was coming down the mountain, um, with that pack and we did a stream crossing and one of these streams is just way deeper than i thought it would be so i went down just like you know to my waist and then i scraped my shin along this one sharp rock and you just you can just like feel every vein in your shin all the way down Uh, that was that was nasty um but basically all the way back down the mountain i was sliding on my ass because i my (laughs) boots weren't gripping um like it was it was an awesome experience that um like it was a bit dodgy um but i that's just like a trip of a lifetime for me again that was with chris um he (laughs) took me out on that we were basically going up after a group of nannies because on this public land a lot of people are just shooting bulls and leaving the nannies so nanny numbers are way too high like you're seeing herds of 20 or 30 nannies um so we were going up to go get a nanny or two for the table um but we were going up and then we see lower down this valley just a group of about five or six bulls and there (laughs) happens to be one really good bull um like most bulls in these areas don't get above four or five years old one i shot was six and a half um 12 and a half inch 12 and three quarters technically because but you measure it by the shortest horn 
I say that everyone is 12 and three quarters, but um, <laughs> uh, that was just an awesome experience. It's the, like the one trophy animal that I've got so far. That's um, awesome. But that was an awesome experience. I remember we got down to the truck close to 12 o'clock at night because um, it was just a long, long hike down from the mountain. And we, I'd saved a little bottle of whiskey as like a celebration for when I get my first tar. I'm going to drink this after I get my first tar. Um, and that whiskey was never so good. Like it just warms the cockles of your heart um, <laughs> sitting in these backcountry arts. But yeah, that would be my dodgiest experience. Um, <laughs> Definitely sounds painful smacking your, your oh, shins no, on no, rocks no. as you're going down. <laughs> shins are just bad. Oh, oh, it's suck. a bad place to do it. <laughs> they do. Okay. So what's the most important item you take out with you? A oh, knife, good knife. Good like knife? Um, you intend to be killing an animal, you've got to have a good knife on yeah, you. Um, like a big thing for me is like when you get an animal, you do it the respect of using as much of it as possible. Is what I try at least. Um, so a good knife is just an essential part of that. Yeah, um, definitely agree. As, as hard as you might try, you can't just rip apart a deer with your hands. So um, <laughs> having a good knife that to uh, break it down to quarters that are manageable. Um, I've been also trying like a few different butchering techniques recently with um, a good knife, and you can just so basically instead of taking shoulders, ribs, and neck off as separate parts, you just kind of fillet it off the rib cage as one giant piece. Yep. And then you roll it up and you can stuff it in a game bag. Okay. Um, but having a good knife for that is just like essential. Again, like a, like what I was saying before, one that's like sturdy enough that you can do skinning and it won't lose its edge. But also one that has like enough of a tip on it yeah. that you can do the fine boning. Um, especially around like the um, the hindquarters, I find a lot of people. Like they, do, they can do a pretty sloppy job when you have um, just a regular pocket knife. Um, you can't get in around that ball joint and then back around the rump. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's something I, I do really try to do. So a knife would be up there. A good, solid knife. No, definitely, definitely a good answer. What's the funniest thing that's happened while you've been out? Oh, God. Uh, I don't really know if I'd call this a funny experience, but um, it is kind of funny thinking about it now. But it didn't technically happen while I was out, but it was on the st- a station where I was. I did a bit of work last April. Um, and it is, it's more funny just thinking about it happening. Um, but basically we had, so there's this big station, they do a bunch of like guided red stag hunts. Um, and the guide, Chris, was out, um, you know, um, taking clients out, looking at stags. I think they were just starting off the roar at that point. Um, but they, they look over the edge and there's not supposed to be anyone on the property. It's like 50,000 hectares and there's just this one guy just walking through with his rifle. Like, what the heck is that guy doing there? Um, because this guy, this place gets hit pretty hard with poachers. Um, so anyway, they ended up like pursuing the guy like across <laughs> valleys and stuff. Um, and then Chris ends up just like tackling him and leaping on him. And then he ends up breaking his, um, breaking his ankle on rocks as he like fell down um 
So when I came to camp about a week later, I didn't know that all this stuff had happened. And I see him, he's coming out on crutches and he's got a big leg cast. And I was like, what the heck has been going on at these camps? Um, but um, like, I can just imagine that being kind of funny. Um, <laughs> it was quite, that whole experience though for them was kind of rough because that guy, so basically he was coming back for the second time. He had already come and shot uh, $18,000 stag. Yeah, wow. Cut the head off, walked, and was coming back for the second time round. Um, that's when they caught him. Um, and like for these stations, like that money is just essential. And like Chris put so much time and effort into managing that specific herd. Yeah. Um, like we know I was talking about, um, like managing the hind numbers and taking stags right time of year. Like Chris does all of that. Like hinds are managed properly. So there's plenty of feed around the ones with bad genetic, the stags with bad genetics get, chopped out pretty quick all the stags like they're not shooting big old are they shooting stags that are eight nine ten eleven years old um which is crazy for red deer and for most of new zealand and this is like fully free range it's the otago herd like this particular one is pure scottish red deer um the from this the one of the liberations that came from this area is the only truly wild red deer release into new zealand all the other ones came from game parks these came straight from the scottish highlands yeah wow um so like he has done a huge amount of work protecting it and then that guy came in and shot a bunch of uh, shot one of his deer and so uh, that part definitely not funny but um like the image of him leaping (laughs) after the hunter and rolling down the hill yeah, I could imagine that being quite funny. Yeah, just um, <laughs> spear, spear tackling him on a rocky surface. Yeah. Oh, he was dedicated. Um, he's he's a, a bloody good guy. He's a wealth of knowledge. He does guiding in Canada as well. Oh, awesome. Um, so for like stone sheep, caribou, yeah. moose, um, all of that kind of stuff. So he's like just listening, like sitting down and just listening to what he has to say around the campfire is just awesome he'd be um, definitely a wealth of knowledge and i definitely uh, follow him on on instagram and yeah he posts some some amazing stuff that's for sure oh it's crazy i've got to see some of that stuff firsthand you know <laughs> just like a few times that i would ever shut up and just oh, that's amazing <laughs> um but um yeah no <laughs> so what would be your top five dream animals with money at the equation anywhere in the world that's tough. I got most of them are in North America. Um, there's something about the, like the states, particularly northern states like Alaska and Canada. Um, they would just be amazing. Hey, like Sitka Blacktail, because of that was like the first time when that kind of switched in my head. That hunting was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, do it on Prince of Wales to do it to rough it out, kind of. I wouldn't have to shoot a massive buck or anything, but just anything would be cool. But you basically um, have that in New Zealand with Stewart Island whitetail. It's very different. <laughs> I would say the closest thing we have to that would be in Fjordland. Um, Fjordland, but then you're hunting. That's more like hunting elk on Prince of Wales. Yeah. Because um, we actually have Wapiti. Yeah, you there. do. Um, they're technically not elk. They're like... The the most pure blood elk there is like seventy five percent elk, twenty five percent red, um, and then there's a lot of variation between them. 
But yeah, like the Stuart Island whitetail that we have are very, very different. They're really they small. I, I just mean like the hunt itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Similar. I guess it, it's Wet, also cold, like the stuff they hunt jungly. there. It's more like lowland forest, yeah. not mountains and stuff. But um, yeah, I kind of get what you mean. It is kind of like that. Um, <laughs> uh, of, we also do have like a second herd of whitetail near Wakatipu, yeah. Lake Wakatipu. That would be a lot more like it because that's actually mountains. Um, but there's something about Sika blacktail that look like, like such a cool little deer. Um, and just that call that that they blow on as they as they're going. Yeah, you know, I did. I've seen that. Um, it looks it just also like the antlers, how it's that dark chocolate brown. Um, I think that would just be amazing. Um, then next would be buffalo bison. Um, this is this is the icon of like North the hunting America. world, really. Yeah. Um, to do the Copper River bison hunt, that once in a lifetime tag. Yeah. That would be amazing. Um, Woodland caribou, the ones up the Cassia Valley in um, British Columbia, that would be amazing because this caribou in general is an animal that I would love to go hunt because they're just um, such an incredibly wild animal. Something I learned on one of the the previous podcasts. Did you yeah. know that there's a caribou herd in the southern hemisphere? Yes, yes, Norfolk Islands or something, yeah. yeah. Um, not Norfolk Islands, but it is a, there's a herd. It's not there anymore. It was culled out. Um, I was looking it up the other day. Uh, it, may, it may still be there, or they may have done a cull and reduced most of them. Yeah, it's... <laughs> but it's in one of the, like, South Georgia. That's what it's called. That's the island. Um, but they tried also doing muskox down there. Okay, um, cool. Because it's sort of like that kind of like Arctic environment, yeah. but I've heard that those technically aren't caribou; they're reindeer. But like, it's just it's the same, 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 same um, thing, different. <laughs> yeah, they, they, like in Alaska, they class the caribou and reindeer as different. Like on some of the islands, I remember in Alaska, they have reindeer, which is just the domestic stock that yeah, was introduced. Yeah. But they're pretty much the same thing. It, it would be bloody uh, cool. Like being, oh, being just, able to say like that you woodland shot a car- caribou in particular, yeah. they're just bigger, their antlers are heavier, they're not in like massive herds, they're really hard to hunt, and also just because they're like they're not doing all that great either, yeah. um, in a lot of their range. So, like, to be able to go and hunt that for the last time would be amazing, it would be. So, that's three, right? Yes, um, okay, so then it would have to be one of the bear species, so like. Probably less grizzly, but black bear. Black bear would be really cool to do, um, just because it's very, very different to what we have in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, also, just like a bear meat, apparently, is supposed to be great. And then bear fat is yeah. supposed to be great. Um, I've had black bear jerky, and it's it's pretty good. Oh, that would um, be good. That would be so good. Um, I'd love to just get a jar of bear fat. Um, <laughs> be so good. Um Hit up Clay, see if he can uh, send you. Uh, Clay Newcomb, yeah, yeah. beer grease. Uh, <laughs> say I'm like balding here. Um, yeah, just replied onto that. But anyway, um, and then oh, look, I really don't know the last one. I'm probably being something like mule deer. Um, mule deer seem like a cool animal to hunt. Um, like in the North America in general, like I just love to go hunt there. Um, like there's something about it. I don't know why. 
but there's just something about that whole hunting culture there um, that just seems so oh, – actually, probably not mule deer. It would be one of the sheep species. Um, it would be like dal sheep or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, dal sheep would probably be my number five. Um, of course, all, all five that I said are really expensive, but um, <laughs> that I can definitely afford as a student. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. But, <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, those would be my top species. Like, hopefully by the time I can afford that, they're around and they're, like, doing well and I can hunt them, especially for the caribou. Um, Like, wood bison, from what I've heard, are doing better there now. Like, they're starting to reintroduce them. So hopefully there's more opportunity for bison. Um, But it would just be awesome just to hunt those animals. It would be. It would be, yeah. All of them would be on on my... I don't have a... I've got, like a top 20 list in yeah i I probably have that that was it was hard (laughs) saying those five because there's a lot of ones that i'd like to do um i don't think many hunters can honestly say that there's like five that they just like to do because there's so much you could never hunt any every species in the world no um even in new zealand it would be very hard for me to do um, every species but also in every place in new zealand like that's the the world of hunting is almost endless yeah and that's what's so great about it um everyone's experience is so different um and there's just so much you can never reach the end of it and everyone um, gets it's into like it. youtube you can never reach the end of youtube <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly exactly everyone gets into hunting for different reasons and mm, you know yeah. we all have like you talk to some people and it's like why, why is that animal your go-to? This is my go-to animal. Like I can't explain you know, it most what, of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> and, and like fallow, like I, I've have, have arguments with people all the time. Like they mm. won't touch fallow. They won't eat fallow. That's dog food. Like, yeah, so that's the thing down south that um, on this particular station, they call them bush rats. Um, um, fallow, they despise fallow with vengeance. It's, but the reason why they hate them is because the fallow are really aggressive yeah. and the reds are big sooks and <laughs> the fallow will kick the reds out of an area. Um, I remember this guy that was doing gu- uh, high fence hunts and he started. He was putting fallow's bucks with his red stags during part of the year and his fallow bucks kept on killing his red stags um, in those fences. Um <laughs> They're crazy aggressive. Like on this particular station, they had culled off a whole bunch of does, like 600 does. Oh, wow. It was a lot. Um, But they didn't touch any buck. So there were so many bucks, they were just like killing each other. Um, Like this was probably the one time I've said to a deer, I said, I won't eat that deer because it literally had like purple flesh from septicemia from like just holes all through the body um like this is the one buck that my dad got i i'm still yet to shoot a stag or a buck um but what buck my dad got it was just like that thing was not making it too far after the rut um it had so many holes in it it was just in horrible condition you'd be surprised Um, what they can push through as soon as if they make it through the rut they can. Oh, it's, it's, this was abnormal, mate. Um, <laughs> it was like a two to one buck to doe ratio, um, but it, there was still lots of does around. So what these bucks? They basically had these twelve big bucks, and they had herded thirty does into this little area, and they had a big licking pad. But you could literally see from a mile off just this big flattened circle of grass, <laughs> where they had just demolished 
the brush in that area. And those there's so many of those bucks were just sitting down panting because it was just so aggressive there. It's something I've never seen before. That's um, it was an awesome experience. Okay. I, I also shot a um, – so Dad shot the buck late at night, and they couldn't get through down this deep gorge and over to it that night. So then I came with my dad the next morning and shot a doe out of that group. Um, and the doe was, like, incredibly fat, like an inch of fat on her. Um, but even she like had a, um, one of her shoulder bones was snapped, it had snapped and fused together. Um, they're just tough animals. They are, um, they are extremely tough animals. God, yeah. So going off of Edium, what's your favorite thing to cook with hunted game? <sighs> That's hard. Um, I love my heart. Um, like I love them. I yeah. love my heart. They're my one. Um, one thing, like my family doesn't really like eating them, but there's, I don't complain because there's only enough of me. Um, so I usually, like I, I have a few close friends that I started ex- exposing to venison and whatnot. So I cooked them up some heart for the first time and they didn't even know it was heart. I, didn't, <laughs> I just said it was backstrap. Um, because what I had done is when you c- cut up a heart, they basically have those three big muscle walls. Um, so I just cut it into that and then flattened it so it just looked like a steak. Um, and then I just, I finally score it and then marinate it for a few nights. And then I add a pinch of like sugar, which sounds crazy, but then when you put it in the pan, it just caramelizes and just becomes really nice. And then you serve that rear, um, thinly sliced. And that is some of the best stuff in the world. Um, Gonna have to try. I, I love I love eating like with fallow deer. Like we shoot quite a lot of fallow does. Um, so like the leg cuts and the back steaks and tenderloins, it's like a staple in our house. Yeah. Um, but I will also really do love a slow cooker, a cooking meal. Um, and for that, the best would be tar. Yeah. Would be my bull tar that I got. Um, tar's interesting, particularly the bulls during the spring and stuff. They taste great. Like they taste like a mix between beef and venison, but they are really, really, really tough. Like, um, like if you've ever cut up a billy goat and then you, when you cut through the back straight, you can always see silver skin in between yeah. the muscle fibers yeah. that they're really tough that way. So you never use it as steaks. Um, I use all the solid muscle cuts for jerky, but then all my shoulder cuts and the tougher leg cuts for like a slow cook curry. So my grandmother, my nani, does a really good curry. Um, it's just like a little bit a coconut and just like a heap of really aromatic spices. And that with tar just ends up being great. I love that. that um, cool. Yeah, curries are pretty, uh, pretty much a go-to yeah, in yeah. this house. We in yeah. the slow cooker, coconut meal, cur- mm. curry, and then I add all yeah. my herbs and spices and yeah, tin of yeah. tomatoes and, yeah, it mm-hmm. goes good. Yeah, like I'm half Indian, so on my uh, mother's side of things, we eat a lot of Indian food. So as I started eating a lot of game meat, I've started making like Indian versions, uh, uh, like uh, wild game versions of Indian dishes, like biryani or um, what we call meat sabji is what you call a curry. Um, I I tried doing um, like a tandoori on um, a young wild goat. That was good, but like I, I need to change a few things up with that. Um, and I do like tandoori rabbit or something like that um, when I can. Sounds good. Um, and that, 
like I, I've been pretty lucky in our house. We're pretty picky about our food. Like we like good quality food. Um, so like as a family, we enjoy having like good quality meals that we put time into. Um, and we've been able to do that with a lot of venison and stuff in the freezer. Speaking of the rabbit, have you done the um, cacciatore recipe out of the Stephen Rinella cookbook? The media cookbook? Uh, no, I see. I I don't have his cookbook, but what I have is his, you know, his guide to big yeah. game and his guide to small game. That's I have it. those. Yeah. Um, I, I should really try that. I've heard that one is really good. It's but really good. For, I haven't for a while had like enough rabbits to do it. There's been like one or two, and even and unless I'm like saving up rabbits for like months on end, two or three, you can. Yeah, that's, that's normally what I go two or three, and you normally mm. get enough. I need to go down south because South Island, Otago has ridiculous numbers I of bet. rabbits. I bet. Um, I remember one day we did a hundred in a morning, um, just with the twenty twos <laughs> sitting on top of a ute. Um, that was good fun. That was one of my like first. Ex- it was when I first did that deer hunt when I was sixteen. Um, we did a lot of that, and that was before I knew I could eat eat rabbit. Now I'm now I can eat rabbit. I'm like, <laughs> holy crap, that was a lot of waste. Um, oh, I love it. KFR. Uh, if you yes, done, yes, yes, I, yes. I do uh, Kentucky Fried Rabbit Nuggets. It's the that that so sounds good. good. It's that so good. Really good. It takes a lot um, of time because you're like taking all the little bits of meat off the bone and. Just uh, yeah. I just do it with. I just use the um, you know, the loins, wouldn't you, for that uh, kind of stuff. I, I do all of it, like the whole thing into, uh, into yeah, it. Yeah. And it's kind I guess of like, when you get those younger rabbits, yeah. you could almost just leave it bone in for those yeah. young ones. Um, like I, I had one that we shot the other day, and it was it's just so tender. You basically didn't need a knife to tear <laughs> the legs off. Yeah. You can just kind of peel. Um, like that's when you know an animal's tender. Yeah. Um, but I like some of the, like you go down south and you get some of those big um, does down there, rabbit does, and they're just big. And like with those ones, you cannot fry that. Yeah. That needs time and slow cooking. Um, yeah, soaking in milk works a treat. I haven't tried that. Um, in general, wild game, I don't really try that. Um, what we do a lot in our house when we have like venison and we're making stir fries. We'll marinate that in yogurt. Um, and I'll make that like during. I'm busy during the week, so I'll make a. I'll take a whole um, silver side, and I'll slice it super thin, and then marinate it in yogurt, and then in like harissa or something, or something really nice like that. And I'll save that as a stir fry, and I'll use it bit by bit, and then over four or five days time, by you get to day five. That thing is ridiculously tender, um, so it just gets better with time. I'm gonna have to try that. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's good. <laughs> stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, my sister always asks for the recipe for that, um, and I kind of got like sick of her asking the recipe, so I made the recipe and put it up on the site so that she can just go and look at the recipe there. Um, but yeah, no. <laughs> what you should have done is put a paywall on that and made a pay. <laughs> oh god, I wouldn't have the end of it with that. Um, <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, no. <laughs> so how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters? Uh, it really depends, like, through, when you have, like, a small, you have a small percentage of people across Australia, New Zealand, and probably the rest of the world that just hate hunters. Um, 
those are the ones that are the loudest and seem very, very large a lot of the time. And those are the ones that are kind of like a lost cause. Um, we're not probably not going to be getting them back. And part of that is just because of the way they, they um, their ideals, but it's just also in their nature almost. They're like closed off to ideas outside of their own. And I feel that's something that, um, especially within like cities and I've noticed in, in um, at university, so a lot of people are very set in their ideas. They don't really stray away from those ideas and they don't really think about the other perspective. And that's something that like hunting requires of the outside population. Um, and I guess it's hard as a hunter sometimes to understand that. Um, but I think throughout the most, most of the population within New Zealand, I'd say it's largely positive to be honest. Um, mostly because like deer, pigs, goats and stuff are recognized as a pest. So they recognize that hunters do a service. Yeah. Um, and it's not just killing for the sake of killing. Of course there's, you know, bad apples out there. They'll just shoot shit for the sake of shooting shit. But um, there's, I think for the most part in New Zealand, like I find with people like um, at university, you get a lot of young people that are very reactionary that'll see, oh, you hunt. It's like, oh my God, that's Bambi or something like that. <laughs> like some quote um, along those lines. And then you explain to them like, oh, they're an introduced species in New Zealand. We hunt them for food um this is what we do blah 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 blah. and then they're like oh that's actually kind of cool um but on the flip side of things i've had um kind of average experiences with it um like i remember once um in one of my first lectures second lecture of university altogether so i had on my back wallpaper a deer that i had shot um (laughs) And I was just minding my own business. wasn't talking to anyone. I was in my, in my lecture. I'm trying to focus. And then I have these people behind me. And they tap me on the shoulder. I'm like, okay. And they're just trying to say hi. And then they start lecturing me on how I was such a bad person for <laughs> shooting that deer. And at, at one, I was just trying to focus on the lecture that was being done. But um, it, was, it was quite funny, like, that these people were so set in their ideas. And they had never met me before never talked to me before, didn't know the whole situation behind it, um, but thought I was a bad person just by that one photo. And it wasn't like a very gruesome photo either. It was just like the deer lying dead in the tussock. Um, it, was just, it was quite a beautiful photo, I thought. But um, <laughs> in that scenario, like it wasn't, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, and to be honest, in those situations, like the best thing you, you can do is just not say too much in reply yeah and just say okay that's cool just well like that's that's cool that you think that way like i think about (laughs) it differently but like be be polite um and all that kind of stuff there's no reason to be rude about it but like i I guess it's just knowing those underlying reasons why they think about it that way especially because like i found with the young generation of people that i'm around they have very little connection to their food yeah um Like, if you ask them, like, what, uh, like, um, they'll eat beef every night, let's say. But if you ask them, where does the sirloin of a cow come from? Like, what what part of a cow does that come from? They'll have no clue. Um, um, Like, I had one person say that veal was a bird. um, (laughs) It was a type of bird. (laughs) It was 
Bloody great. She wasn't that smart, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, that's hilarious. There's just like just crazy stuff, um, and that's something that I've like almost taken for granted because even in our house, we've been like very thought out and methodical about what we eat. Um, and even like my grandmother had a quite a big garden there. You grow like broccoli, cauliflower, um, chilies, beans, ca- uh, capsicums, garlic, potatoes, just everything. Um, and as a young, young kids, like during our Christmas holidays, we'd spend a lot of time helping out in that garden. Um, and I guess it's just like that realization of where your food comes from. Um, and once you like explain that to a lot of people, I think most people are pretty open to it. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And you do it like in a nice way. Yes. Like it's just, it's just if you're trying to explain to them any other topic. Um, even though like for a lot of hunters, it's something that they care about a lot more and it'll be like, Oh, how dare you say that this is <laughs> a blasphemous thing. And it's most, most of the time it's just a gap of an understanding. Um, Education thing. Yeah. No, it's just funny how that one incident happened in a university. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. No. Um, I've had like a few more instances where I've been told that, Oh, like you're a horrible person for this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, I've had ones on Instagram where like I'd, um, so, uh, Andrew Giuliano, um, bought the bald chef. Yeah. Um, so he did an article on one of his Rusa hunts for um our page and it was one of his posts and it was like already been up on my page for a couple of months and i got a couple of like a whole parade of people saying that i was a horrible person um so firstly i had to explain that i didn't shoot that deer but two i had to explain to them like i'd explain to them that oh this is an introduced species and no natural predators they do a lot of damage to the bush and like I did an open-ended question of like, uh, if we're not going to kill them and their numbers get overpopulated, would you want to see them starve? And the whole thing was like, oh, that doesn't happen in nature. The nature sorts itself out. The great circle of life. But um, <laughs> like, it's just, uh, I I do think with the public sometimes they don't have that depth of understanding of yeah, 100%. the interaction between life and death what it actually is yeah um it's very different learning about it and it or reading about it um than actually doing it um yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there and one thing that i bring up quite a bit to people who are a bit like that is so would you prefer me to go out and hunt it and utilize the meat and then i explain to them chopper cutting and what happens there and they're horrified, oh, yeah, no. and it changes. It seems to change their mind completely. They're like, "Oh god, yeah, yeah." yeah no, I'd I'd much prefer the lands be open for you guys to go pay money and go hunt, and then utilize the meat if that's what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. No. That, that <laughs> I, I'd say that most people that is the case. That's what they like. It's it's a um it's a human thing. I don't think it's this is the thing. I don't think it's wrong either to step back and question why you're killing something. Yeah, no, like, definitely. I think it's I think in that premise is good to like think about it. Um, as long as you think about it open mindedly and you don't just say, Oh, all killing is bad. It's always um, good to question, that's for sure. Yeah, it's it's always a question and I think that like as a hunter that's something that you you should really have in the back of your mind, like why are you doing this? Um are you doing it for the right reasons and blah blah blah. Um everyone's reasons are different. But um like I've, that's why I've always found with vegans, 
like it's something that I wouldn't subscribe to, but the the key premise of it where like respecting animals and their um and their life is something that I'd agree with. Um and I think with most people you can find that common ground and then work from there. Definitely, definitely. So how would you mm. change the public views on hunting and hunters? It's a hard one. Um, to be able to convince um to show them that like hunting as a whole is a very nuanced thing. Um, every hunter is different in what their reasons are. And like every hunt across like Australia and New Zealand is done for a different reason. It's done in a different way. What may be seen as unethical or unjust to one species is essential for managing the population at another. Um, and like, for instance, like separating like a meat hunter and a trophy hunter, like between uh, from a lot of the public that those are two distinct categories. Yeah. That you're either a meat hunter or you're either a trophy hunter. You can't be both. Um, whereas for most people, like I, I, I find I don't shoot like a lot of big animals or anything, but I, I love like it's as much of a trophy for me to just get the meat. The meat is the trophy. Yeah. And for a lot of um, the public, that's hard to understand that um, like it, especially if you have like the, the radical anti-hunting side of things like, Oh, why would you kill an animal that you love? Um, like that. Um, I don't enjoy like killing it as per se, but I understand that that's part of the process. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that, that's probably what I'd say. That's it's just like the, the public has a very limited understanding of hunting. And part of that is because they have quite, um, little like experience with hunters especially as you go within the cities like auckland doesn't have a lot of hunters um i know like one or two other close mates that are hunters um but whereas you go into the rural areas in new zealand and every second guy has a rifle and they are hunting um but new zealand hunting culture is pretty cool to me it 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 is completely different to australian hunting culture and just going over there just opened my eyes and then yeah, going no, to America, was that was the next level. <laughs> yeah, no. I'd love to go to Oz, to be honest. I, I need to get over to Oz. Um, well, come, come I've down. I've got an invite to do a rooster hunt um, over in New South Wales. Lucky um, bastard. That could be pretty cool. Um, or just go up north. Um, but I can't really afford that. That's the thing. Um, come down to Adelaide. doesn't allow that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but... The, the, the good thing about the New South Wales rooster hunt is I'd just be staying at his place and then basically just going out onto a property that he has access to. Um, I wouldn't be paying for a hunt or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, like, I, in New Zealand, we're pretty damn lucky, um, I'd have to say. Well, if you find yourself down in Little Old Adelaide, sing out, and I'm sure Hainsey and I can sort something out for yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, Hainsey Hain, gets onto a lot of deer, it does seem. He shoots a lot of deer and like pretty good animals. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to go hunting with him because he, like, I, I feel like he had a lot of like same ideals as I would. He does. Um, like, and... Yeah. Getting the meat out, like respecting the animal, all that kind of stuff. Um, like it, like the also the um, like the diversity of animals he ends up shooting is like the reds, the fellow. Doesn't he have like a cheetle on yeah. his one of his places? Cheetle. Like, I love Chittle. 
Chittle had uh, Rusa. Um, then goats, camels. Then on what I remember talk, when I first started talking to him, he had um, on one of those places they had like a bunch of escaped um, wapiti, and they had kind of been breeding with the reds, and he yeah. had shot one of the hybrids. Um, that would be pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, but I think if I go over to his place, like I, I mean, I have access to reds and fallow in New Zealand. I'd probably go for the if I could get onto a chittle or a rooster, that would be pretty awesome. Um, Take you over for foxes. I know kiwis. Throw oh, that would be kind of cool. That would be cool. <laughs> that would be cool. Like we don't have real predator hunting yeah. in New Zealand. Um, our biggest predators are feral cats. We hate them with vengeance. Um, Trust me, I. Oh God. That's my cat skin cap, and then oh uh, my god, cat skin stubby holder, like big stubby holder. uh, Like (laughs) feral cats in New Zealand and Australia are just the bane. Like also, I explain to people when I'm I'm trying to say that like all introduced species are not the same. (laughs) I would compare cats to deer. Yeah, like cats do so much damage in our bush. Um, and did do do damage. Don't get me wrong, um, but you can at least like manage deer to a point yeah. where they do less damage. Cats are horrible. Cat like the mere presence of a cat is horrible. I'll have to send you an uh, article la- later. You'll find it funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! But getting this back, interesting. <laughs> getting back on topic. Okay, um, okay. Getting more people into hunting in the modern age. Ah yes, okay. So this is uh, this I've been going for the last like three, four, um, last couple of months actually. I've been trying to get my I have three close mates of mine that I'm trying to get into hunting, um, and I've been trying to find like places to take them out for the first time. One that'll like allow new hunters like me to take them without a guide or something, and then even with a guide, like the sheer amount of money you have to invest within with a guide. Like the barriers to entry for modern hunters is ridiculous. Um, like the licensing process, the amount that gear costs nowadays and rifles cost nowadays. If you don't know someone, it is so hard to get onto places. Yeah. That's why, like, I, um, NZDA does their hunts courses, which is like really good. Like, it, um, it does cost a little bit, it's like a hundred, a little over a hundred bucks or something. Um, but they basically take you out for the day. They teach you everything A to Z, how to butcher an animal, um, or like tactics of hunting. And then you end up getting, going out for a hunt at the end of the course. Um, like that kind of stuff, I think really needs to be pushed within Australia and New Zealand. Um, and also when we have like on a private land block and we have an overpopulated herd, we don't color we use that as an education experience yeah because when though you have those overpopulated herds it's kind of the perfect storm for teaching new hunters because there's so much abundance around um i think like that there's kind of hitting two birds with one stone there because you're managing the herd and then you're fostering those new hunters to come on through um and like teaching those hunters the right way like like in New Zealand, we do a lot of education about firearm safety and that kind of stuff. And I think that's good. Don't get me wrong. We need that. But if you go to any of these hunts courses, nothing is taught about what's an ethical shot on an animal, how to butcher that animal, how to utilize that animal once it's on the ground. What's the correct way, like management-wise, how many 
Heinz should you be shooting? Yeah. What's the right time of year to be shooting Heinz? Every that all of that kind of stuff gets left out. Yeah, that's um, sounds like it. It's needed yeah. here as well. We go on basic shot placement and caliber yeah, selection and stuff like that. Like that. But um, um, definitely should incorporate some like type of deer butchering courses into the. God, yeah. Um, like a, a number of new hunters that I know that know a lot about like hunting, but very little about utilizing the food. Um, but I think within New Zealand, we also need to. Um, use like I was talking about, like utilizing the web, um, utilizing the internet as an incredible um, educational source. Like, what was that one that like Remy Warren and a bunch of them are working on over in the states? I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a hunt education thing. Yeah, uh, uh, I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember, but, but I think they sponsor Ben. Ben. ben yeah, I think um, they do studio his studio is named after him but yeah yeah i know where yeah. you're getting at um like using the internet as an education source i think is incredible because especially in the the modern age of the web that we're in right now um not using it is just isolating a, a huge group of people that could be future hunters yeah 100 uh, it's, it's a way of drawing people off the computer and into the field um, which I think is like a massive battle that we have. Um, and also like the last thing I'd say is um, creating ways to um, like throughout human history, really hunting has been passed down from, um, from parent to child. And that kind of, it's been passed down deliberately that way. You've always had that mentor kind of being going yeah. all the way through. Um, and while I think it's great if you can get a mentor, it shouldn't be something that's like absolutely necessary. Um, you should like within New Zealand, we sh should be have like pieces of private land where we set aside uh, like 2% of our tags. Let's say if you're managing a herd of a hundred deer, you need to shoot a hundred deer, put aside like five or six tags for new hunters at a reduced rate where they can get a taste and they can, as long as they have a license and it's legal, they can go out by themselves and just get that first deer on the board. Um, like have, we just need to be kind of get more creative with how we draw hunters in. Um, yeah, Cause I think the way we're doing it now isn't working. Um, like you go, I'm part of the NZDA and it's been good of recent, like you're seeing more and more young people, but if you look at the average age of the members, it's still very old. Yeah, it's, um, it's been very similar like that over here with our ADA. Mm, so it's only just starting to change now. So Yeah. Like it's, it's a good sign. I think like a lot of those organizations will change over time and as they become more modernized and streamlined, um, they'll get more new hunters in. Um, but we just need to get creative, like going, um, getting students from university, I think is a really good one while you're at uni. That's the period of time where you're supposed to be like experiencing new things and like outside of what you've been raised on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's one of the best times to be like young minds that are supple and ready to like, to be nurtured in that way. Um, if you can get some of those people that have like an existing interest in like the outdoors or in wildlife or something, 
or in food. I feel like a lot of students you know, like good food. Um, I find with a lot of people, that's a really good way to convince them to go hunt is Throw first give them venison. Um, <laughs> I've been secretly doing that to my mates for about a year and a half now. Um, but um, yeah, I just invite them over for barbecues and there'd be um, like some venison steaks and some sausages I've made. That's great. Um, yeah, it's like it's one th- cool little thing I do. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's just, it's getting young people, but from different sources, not having to rely on the parents introducing them and that kind of stuff yeah definitely agree with you there man what is hunting to you god that's open-ended um (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to say mate um it, it it means a lot like i've always been someone since a very young kid um who's been very interested in nature and being out indoors i hate being in the city for too long um and i love i love that kind of like connection to the land and to the food and to the animals it just, it just seems right and it's hard to explain but it, if you know you know it, it, it yeah <laughs> i i don't i don't like saying that but like if you, if you know you know um and i it's really it's just really really hard to explain um it's just like especially when you're just going out and it's just like a few people and you're just sitting back and you're glassing. It's just that pure like peace and serenity. Like I remember, I can't remember what the book was, but it talked about this guy and he did these big canoe trips through the Great Lakes and he spent extended periods of time just by himself. And he, he explained the phenomenon and how um, as – um, he spent more and more time away from people, how things became simpler and simpler and simpler. How like the the busyness and confusion of the outside world just slowly becomes shed away. <coughs> and you start focusing on those few things that are like important. Um, and I, I feel like for hunt, hunting for me is like a type of reset it's a way that I can get outside and it just calms me down. Just uh, it not, it's not always calm all the time. Like if you're running after a deer, I'm not, I'm not peaceful and serene at all. Um, <laughs> but it's overall, it's just, it's a way to get back to the simpler things in life. And I think that's something undervalued. Um, that just focusing on those few basic thoughts um, and uh, that, back to that canoe guy, he, and he explained like, as he went like 14 days, 20 days, a month, a month and a half and like further and on and on that, um, it didn't, it didn't stop like the simplification. It just kept on getting simpler and simpler and simpler. And it's like, it just shows like how complicated we sometimes make our own lives. And for me, like hunting is at least part of part that. Um, it's a way to add simplicity to my life and um, break down those factors. And then for the food side of things, I love good food. Um, it's something I take pride in. Like I love taking my time with butchery and doing, you know, getting the specific cuts right. I've invested in a new vacuum sealer recently and just like getting that perfect. Um, there's the food side of things. It's just like, from a moral perspective, like I like 
being connected to the food that I'm eating. Like I love it when food comes from the garden. It tastes one. It tastes so much better. Um, like my grandmother, whenever she grows like a, a cauliflower that's from the garden, um, it's just so much better. <laughs> like you actually like vegetables. Um, but yeah, I just love that connection to my food. And from a moral perspective, I like that I took responsibility for that life, that yeah. that life is in my own hands and I took responsibility and I did it the best way I could. And I didn't pass on that responsibility to someone else to do. Um, and I feel like I respect the meats in my freezer a little bit more because of that. Yeah, no, nah, that's, it's, the answer's always very, very similar to everyone. They put it in slightly different words, but it's always very, very similar. And every time someone says their side of it, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> yeah. There's, again, there's so much of hunting. Like, um, no matter where you are in the world, you, you could be, you know, you could be in Africa hunting Cape Buffalo, or you could be in the States hunting like some grouse or something. Like you couldn't be two further things apart from each other, but you, you have these, um, shared almost experiences and key moral values that are applicable in each instance. Exactly. Um, yeah, anyway, but so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if people have loved what they've heard and they want to see more from you and hear more from you, where can they find you? Okay, so first up, if you'd like, if you want, you'd want to message me about something or just talk, I, that's one thing I'm open to. If you're a keen hunter and stuff, that's, I, th- I find that's fun, like me, um, talking to people from around the world. Um, just go on my Instagram, it's fillthefreezer2.0, <laughs> 2.0, because my original account got hacked. Um, I was at 1,400 followers um, and lost every one of them. I couldn't Spiel. get Oh, it was it was brutal and now finally i've gone above that i'm nearly at 2000 now but i could just imagine that um if i hadn't lost those followers where would i be at now (laughs) Uh, especially because there was a lot of people from like the states that i was never able to get back um anyway um you can go in there fill the freezer 2.0 um and then my website which is basically what i was trying to do is like a online hunting magazine that you can access for free and we kind of deal with some of the um, topics. Like I found with New Zealand hunting magazines, they're almost too much trophy orientated. It's just about another person shooting another big deer. And it, don't get me wrong, it's awesome. Um, but if you look at these magazines over a long period of time, it's the same like six or seven articles that they're writing um, over and over again from different people. And it, it's they're beautiful animals, don't get me wrong. But I wanted to like bring a different perspective, like meat hunts and that kind of stuff. Um, also, help teach people some of the butchery side of things. So we we go into like aging game meat and packaging game meat and what freezer burn is. Um, we have a few more. I have a few more going up soon that are like how to break down a hindquarter into all of its different cuts. Um, and then we also do recipes and whatnot. Um, so what I try to do for all of the, my contributors, um, as I call them. Um, they write a hunt article and then they write a recipe article to go with it. So we that's what I try to do. So that's fillthefreezer.co.nz. Um, um, so head on over there. There's a bunch of articles that you can read. I think we got like 50 up at the moment. Um, trying to get three every couple of weeks up. Awesome. Um, 
I hope to be doing a little bit more stuff with Fill the Freezer. I want to do some stuff like for beginner hunters and then um, some more conservation-orientated stuff um, in the future. But at the moment, it's just a site for articles and whatnot. So go on there. You'll see this man's article. So we did a like a hunt, like bring kids up the right way. Um, it was just you and then another guy named Ruben Jane. Um, so both like, you know, bring their kids up the right way, that kind of stuff in the outdoors. Um, and yeah, those, so those are the two big ways to get in touch with me. Um, yeah. Awesome. I'll put those links up in the show notes anyway, but really? I really appreciate you coming on. I know it's getting quite oh, late. It's getting quite late over there. The- it's midnight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope my parents can't hear too much of what I'm saying, but um, <laughs> no, 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 it should be good. It should be good. Um, uh, I do talk pretty loud sometimes. So I do feel sorry for them. Um, but, um, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure, mate. No, that's it's, awesome. Um, been that, good fun talking on here. That's two hours. That two hours um, rolled by real quick. Yeah, it went bloody fast. Uh, <laughs> that's what that's what you want. If a conversation is drawing out too long, it should probably be ended. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I really appreciate it, man. So thank you for coming on. And, um, yeah, everyone go over and check out his articles on his website. Thanks, mate. It's been great. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Please head over to our social media and give us a follow. Instagram at Hunting Connection Podcast. Facebook at Hunting Connection Podcast, Twitter at Hunting Connect, TikTok at Hunting Connection Podcast. If you've enjoyed, please share with your friends and family, tag us in your photos and videos on social media, subscribe, rate and review to help grow the podcast. If you're interested in giving additional support to the podcast, you can head over to our podcast Patreon page. Thank you very much for listening and catch you next episode.